Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy port beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030. What's up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. A little different schedule this week. We've gone Tuesday, Thursday. I think that probably ended up being the right route to go because of signing day and all that. Uh, but, you know, the main thing we're here to talk about today is impeachment. You want to go ahead and throw some thoughts out on that, Borky? Yeah, I'm Maybe. actually typing a tweet right now that says uh, I was supposed to do a signing day recap hit on the JT show, but I got bumped because of something called impeachment. So, um, oh, geez, I did find it funny there. And uh, your old co-conspirator last night was saying that uh, he didn't see anybody on uh, his Twitter that didn't understand how impeachment work. I guess he's a lucky one because I had. I mean, a dozen or so people that thought that yesterday, on both sides, they were, like, super pissed that he was getting removed from office or super excited that he was getting removed from office. And uh, they're both wrong because that's not really how this works. Grade school political science failed a whole lot of people yesterday, as it turns out. Yeah, I spent my whole night firing off some pretty sick tweets about how I know the Constitution better than anyone on the Internet. Uh, Put some nice skull emojis in there. It was a pretty good time. But, uh, yeah, yeah mine, mine was kind of the same way. I was trying to uh, get some takes on this Gonzaga-North Carolina basketball game what was, uh, or whatever else was on television, and then I opened Twitter. And I was like, yeah, I'm probably just going to shut this for the night. This, this seems pretty terrible. But anyway, the actual thing we're talking about is quite the opposite of impeachment. Signing day. It's a new beginning for a lot of kids, or really most all kids. So Ole Miss had signing day yesterday, not a hug. Not really a, much of an eventful day. They ended up with 12 signees uh, as of the writing. I wrote a column on supertalk.fm that you can go read, kind of summing up the day and really just talking about uh, Lane Kiffin. Really, his whole thing yesterday was, one, he was not a fan of that press conference, and two, he was really just kind of made, look, we, there wasn't really much we could do today, like um, kind of all of our works to be done ahead of us. I do think they're going to make some noise in February. They ended up with 12 signees after uh, the press conference and the festivities and all of that. Louisville, Mississippi, and I believe Jones Junior College linebacker uh, Lacavius Daniel uh, sent in his LOI to Ole Miss. So they ended up with 12. Um, I thought they ended up with – from from the little I've talked – again, I'm not going to pretend to follow recruiting and know recruiting you know, as well as the guys that do it every day, but I think they ended up with some pretty good players. It was very defensive-heavy. But really, yesterday was just about kind of uh, not rushing things, maybe taking the right players, the ones that were more sure. I believe Kiffin even said uh, he talked to some guys that wanted to sign today, but he told them to wait. Uh, I thought that was interesting, unless I have that wrong. But no, yeah, that's just really uh, an une- uneventful day. That's And that's what he said. It, it The press conference yesterday was funny. And, uh, of course, you missed the uh, first half of the show. Not the first half of the show, but the first few minutes of the show because you were there, so I was – uh, watching along, like had the press conference in one ear and listening to whatever Richard was babbling about in the other ear. And I thought, one, he was kind of annoyed, which is actually refreshing because the mid, the early signing day press conference, at least for Ole Miss yesterday, was kind of a waste of time. Like Mississippi State, they basically signed their entire class, so I get it. But I mean, there was only, at the time, 11 guys, and they were halfway done in a transition class to talk about. So he seemed kind of annoyed, which was funny to me. 
But the honesty, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but I know it's different. He straight up said that uh, the tight end in Oxford's dad was dishonest about their communication. Uh, Ole Miss tried to talk to him and, and get him to sign with Ole Miss. Like, I don't understand why what happened during his press conference in the morning happened. And I look, people people do things that I don't understand, and they don't owe me an explanation at all. But it was obviously not true. Ole Miss tried to – Lane Kiffin and his small staff tried to talk to him and get him to sign with Ole Miss. Like, there was an effort there. To say there wasn't was just – it was a lie. So he addressed that pretty frankly and said as much a little bit more diplomatically than I did. But then he also said that, look, we told some kids to look elsewhere. We had some kids committed that our, our evaluation didn't match the previous staff. So we told them to go elsewhere. We had kids that wanted to sign with us, but we told them to wait because I mean, you can draw some conclusions there. I kind of like that. Honestly, it may hurt him. I don't know. But not many coaches would straight up say, we process some kids because our evaluations don't match. This person lied. We tried to get them. And this is a waste of time. I kind of find that refreshing. Yeah, I thought that I, I, I agree with that as well. And then one of the things that I've fallen victim to this, too, is when you get a new coaching staff. Like I remember particularly when I was like I say younger, I mean, I'm 24, but like when I was in college and following some of this stuff. I would always kind of feel bad for kids when a new coaching staff came in and they didn't honor their scholarship. But the way Kiffin, I was like, geez, that, that's really cutthroat. Like the kids get a raw deal here. And maybe some of that is true. But with the way Kiffin described it yesterday, he's like, I would rather do that than take the kid and then have him transfer in a year in his college trajectory be already screwed up because you knew from day one it wasn't going to work, but we took them anyway. So like it really is in this instance, it's not coach speak or just bullshit just, just to say it's better off for both parties. It really is better off for both parties. Because if you're like, why would you take a kid that's going to end up, like like Kiffin said, it's not going to fit and he's going to eventually want to transfer as easy as transferring is these days. So like I found that I found that as an interesting angle. And like, I don't know why I'd never thought of it that way before, but it, it that, that kind of struck me for whatever reason. Uh, and I don't know. I, I was asked yesterday, like, does it, uh, does Kiffin processing a few of Matt Luke's recruits, wh- what does that mean? Does it mean that Luke's class is going to be a terrible one? And I don't even know how to answer that other than just because the evaluation doesn't add up doesn't mean that they're bad players. You know what no, I mean? Look I- at kids' offer sheets across the country. We were looking at a couple of kids yesterday with me, you, and Haydad, I believe, were talking about it after Richard left, being like, like Haydad was talking about that kid from South Haven that signed with Notre Dame and didn't have any in-state offers. Like, his offer list was kind of weird. He had, like, a Southern Miss, a Auburn, a Notre Dame, and some other mid-majors. Like, people just evaluate kids differently. I don't think it means it's good or bad. But, like, I think you can tell that from kids' offer sheets. Obviously, the blue-chip kids are going to have, you know, scholarships from every big-name school in the country. But other than that, like, I think people just evaluate things differently. I think you can tell by looking at kids' offer sheets that, that that's the case. Yeah. Uh, but it is good to see that it feels like he's got at least they have a plan or they're not panicking about the early signing day because I, I've seen a lot of I, I don't know about you, but uh, for example, Jeff Collins, who Georgia Tech did well in the early signing period. But uh, the way he's being promoted today, doing all these national hits is Georgia Tech just signed the number 23 class in college football. Well, 
it's not done yet. And there are multiple schools behind Georgia Tech that will pass them in the next signing period. They just have a large number. Their entire class was signed yesterday. That it's is like not Arkansas the case. Arkansas last year, kind of. Remember, they were right. all the rage this time last year. Exactly. And there are, there are schools behind them that don't have as many signees as them that will pass them. It's still a very good class. A very good class. But like Arizona State, for example, and Ole Miss are both pretty significantly behind Georgia Tech. And I have a feeling they will both pass Georgia Tech by signing day. Arizona State has nine fewer signees than Georgia Tech. So there's still so much to be done. It's it is nice to see, and I don't know if any coach would have done it any differently, but for them to straight up say, we're not panicking. I mean, we're not signing kids just to sign kids. It's a waste of time. There's nothing that you can do. Like, yesterday didn't win anything for anyone. Georgia is still going to have a handful of kids sign in the next period. Like, they're number five in the country, and they're still not done. So using the, the rankings right now as your barometer for what a class is, just – on the surface, the way people do it, is um, it's just too early because there's still at least a third of the prospects that need to sign somewhere. Yeah, and I don't have the math on this yet, but I'd be interested to find out who um, – what am I trying to say here? Like, this is now the second year of this early signing period thing, and I'll be interested to, fi- to find out who – like how many, how many, how this is going to end up affecting kids? Because I feel like maybe last year it was kind of all the rage to a bunch of kids signed early. I wonder if it'll be fewer this year and if we'll end up seeing some balancing out to how many choose to wait versus how many to do it. I don't know the answer to that. I'm just wondering if we're ever going to start to see a trend because you can't really have a trend when you've only had two of these things. Another thing I noticed about Kiffin, you mentioned him being annoyed yesterday. Uh, I kind of agree with that, but he didn't give bad answers. But it's interesting, he has like a, a, a Belichick-ness about him in the sense that like he talks in the exact same tone of voice, like he kind of looks at you when he talks to you. He gives way better answers than Bill Belichick does, at least from the little Patriots press conferences I've seen over the years. But like he talks in this same bottled up, open up tone, kind of like, I, I'm not, I don't want to give you anything, but I'll answer your question. But then... At the same time, what if Bill Belichick was on Twitter, like, tweeting witch hunt about the Bengals thing? Like, it's kind of a weird dynamic. <laughs> like, his Twitter thing is, his Twitter personality, and I know this is the case with a lot of people, is completely different than, like, how he handles media and stuff. And I think it's even different than how he just is kind of, whether it's behind the scenes or everything else. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, because even yesterday when he was kind of annoyed, he did give good answers and gave, like, honest insight. But his demeanor at press conferences versus like his sense of humor elsewhere is an interesting uh, is an interesting, I guess uh, I don't even really know what the right word is, but it's, it's just matching the personalities in the room before being honest. Yeah, I, I guess so. But like nobody really honest. wants to be there. That's the best part about press conferences is look, like you don't hate your job. Yeah, you, you have a good job. All of you guys in the room have a pretty cool job, but some of these press conferences are just mundane and, and a big waste of time. And so he's just matching the mood in the room. And I mean, none of us want to really be here, so let's just get through it. Yeah, I I I, it, I just found that interesting because like I was like, this is not the guy tweeting about big fish and Nick Saban and stuff on Twitter. Like, just that I wouldn't have ever guessed that it added up. But again. People act differently on the internet than they do anyway. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just find it interesting. It's almost like, like I think he's going to have more of a Saban school of media type of thing 
um, which is fine, like whatever, anything else. I just found that part interesting. Uh, as far as who they did get, they end up with, like I said, uh, 12 guys, defensive heavy class. I believe they're going to have two – no, they have four mid-year enrollees. Excuse me. They have Cade Renfro, the quarterback from Stephenville, Texas. Jevin Sneed's alma mater. You got a Juco kid and Dalen Gill, linebacker. You have Derek Bermuda as the Florida kid that I think is going to end up being a pretty good addition for them. They needed help in the secondary, and he's a 6-1 corner that was going to sign with Florida State, ends up signing with Ole Miss. Um, I think he'll end up probably playing safety to start out, but has the ability to play corner. And then the other enrollee is inside linebacker Austin Keys. Uh, the rest, is, it, as far as we know and as far as media relations told us yesterday, the rest of these kids will be summer enrollees and all of that. Really not a ton of surprises. Uh, I think Bermudez was considered a bit of a surprise. And then Tobias Braun, the German offensive tackle from uh, Salisbury Prep School in Connecticut, who was uh, interested in Ole Miss and Florida State, signed yesterday after being previously uncommitted. Uh, after that, were the, am I missing any surprises? I don't think there are too many shockers that, that went Ole Miss's way. We'll get to the ones that didn't in a second. Yeah, no, just those two guys. Uh, those are two guys that will not have signed, well, and the quarterback as well. So the ones you mentioned are guys that will not have signed with Ole Miss. Um, and it's not an indictment or anything. It's just prospects that became Ole Miss targets after the new staff came in. You're going to see a lot of that come after the dead period ends, which is in a couple of weeks, right? It doesn't, recruiting won't pick back up until, what, the second week of January, I think. Yeah, something like that. There's this weird dead period, and then sometime after the new year, it picks back up. Yeah. There will be a handful, more than that, of prospects that you've never heard of. Because, I mean, not only just because Lane Kiffin is not Matt Luke, and they are going to recruit different players just because uh, they're different guys and also offensive philosophies. and It kind of feels like Kiffin is more willing to go after bigger uh, more highly sought after prospects than Matt Luke was. Not that they didn't try, but it certainly feels like they kind of had um, a lack of willingness to go, uh, as as Kiffin calls it, big fish hunting. I don't know if that's fair or not, but it certainly doesn't seem like they were in on near as many big time prospects as his predecessor. And uh, you know, you can leave your cheating jokes at the door. It kind of feels like Lane Kiffin's going to have more star power, so to speak, in his targets and recruiting but also the staff isn't in place yet i mean you they have how many official staff members not counting the strength coach because he he's not recruiting they have the quarterbacks coach the special teams coach running backs or previously was a running backs coach an offensive line right that's four that's all they've got right at least officially uh yes permanently and then so they have six more hires to go, some of which are potentially going to be, you know, big times in college football recruiting if he can make it work. These are guys that will bring in their uh, prospects that they've scouted and evaluated and stuff, and they'll be names that you've never heard of. So an entire new prospect list is coming when recruiting picks back up in January for the February signing period. It'll be, it won't be a surprise, I guess. It shouldn't be anyway, because we're telling you right now it'll be names you've never heard of, but uh, a completely new target list when they reset coming in January. 
Yeah, and you mentioned the in-state, out-of-state thing. He had a quote that kind of stuck yesterday. Uh, I think he got asked directly about that, but he said, "Now he said we're going to sign the best players to win games. Now, if it comes down to where they're exactly equal, we're going to choose the in-state player, but we're not going to sit here and say we're going to sign Mississippi kids. National programs that win for a longer period of time, they recruit nationally. We're going to recruit all over the place and find players. If it's even we'll take local kids, this is much different than – taking Tennessee or USC before that's getting into a different part of the quote, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think, uh, I, I don't, Matt Luke's thing. I don't know if it was necessarily like they were like, like being risk averse there to where more so the first couple of years they were recruiting for in particular is a pretty tough sell. So like, even if they're trying with kids, I don't think they got uh, very serious. Um, I don't think they had his, his kids' attention as much just because of what all the program was going through. I think that tends to get lost in the shuffle a lot of times when, like, because I, I, I don't get on message boards, but with the message board drama we had over the weekend, I got sent a couple of screenshots and links of something, and then I stumbled on a thread talking about how it was a load of bullcrap that Matt Luke stabilized the program, and he was citing, like, recruiting and all that other stuff. I don't think that's true because I think people have very short memories. In 2017 and 2018, this place was a fairly tough sell. And I think they did. They yeah, did no, well. he absolutely he stabilized the program. He absolutely Yeah, did. I don't think that's There's debatable. That Lane Kiffin, it's not at all. There's a reason why Lane Kiffin chose Ole Miss over Arkansas. Yeah, no kidding. Like, Arkansas is probably a little bit extreme example on the other end. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, I, I don't think that's really necessarily debatable. I'm not, like, vouching for the guy and saying he should have gotten another year and all that. But, like, he cleaned up a lot of areas. He shouldn't have gotten another year. I mean, he shouldn't have. Yeah, but it's just – it's right also just besides anything else. Like, the, the new guy – like, imagine just what a pain in the ass it would have been to recruit for Ole Miss in 2017, 2018, no matter who the coach was. Like, that would have sucked. Like, that, that seems like a pretty crappy job. Yeah, and uh, somebody like Dave Doran, I don't know if – I mean, look, he, he's, he would have been a better football coach, but you probably would have ended up in the same position you are right now, maybe with a, an additional year. Because I don't think he was pulling Ole Miss out of that mess. If that was the guy, he, he was the guy. He wasn't pulling Ole Miss out of that mess. Um, maybe nobody but to say that Luke didn't stabilize – uh, that's just that's just not true. Lane Kiffin chose Ole Miss over Arkansas. Arkansas Stadium is nicer. Arkansas has more money. Ole Miss had a better roster, and that is why Lane Kiffin's knocks from it. Yeah. Um, aside from that, they did get the top linebacker in this uh, top linebacker, top offensive lineman in the state, Eli Acker, Heritage Academy kid. Uh, just one by one. Sean Rawlings and all of them removing the MIS stigma from Division One football, so good on them. Uh, got a couple of linebackers. I think looking forward, you're going to see a pretty big emphasis on uh, defensive line in particular. I think offensive line is another one just because I think you feel okay-ish about what you have coming back, but I think depth is a concern there. Uh, but the defensive line, I think, is probably first and foremost because – they didn't really solve a whole lot of that. They're still in on the George County kid, I think. I'm pretty sure he didn't sign yesterday. Uh, they did lose Josiah Hayes to Kentucky. John Sumrall, former Ole Miss linebackers coach, kind of orchestrated uh, a signing day shocker there because I think most people around the Ole Miss's program felt pretty good about 
uh, where that was trending, even though but he decommitted from Ole Miss in o- October or something like that, correct? Uh, yeah, he did. And so I, I think I, I think I, I think most people still felt pretty good about that. Uh, John Sumrall, pretty good coach. Like he was probably the best assistant Ole Miss had on that 2018 staff. Dude, uh, smart, charismatic guy. But I, I think what I guess I'm saying all that say I think defensive line will be a pretty big priority going forward for them because you lose what. Benito Jones, Josiah Coatney, Kadir Shepard. Am I missing anyone? Um, I think that's about right. I'll pull but up still, the, I mean, uh, that's the depth a chart just to be sure. But yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if they explore the the transfer portal. It's been mentioned a oh. couple of times, I think, for reason. So I mean, there will be some graduate transfers that they'll go after uh, in the portal to try to fill some immediate need there. I mean, no matter how good the the true freshman is, you cannot expect a true freshman to step in and be, especially in the SEC, to step in and be a contributor uh, immediately uh, on any defensive line. So they lose uh, Benito I, Jones. I left out Austrian Robinson. Cotney, Austrian Robertson, Kadir Shepard. Yep, that's it. And if you're talking about the outside linebacker position, if you're counting that because they do kind of play a pseudo in spot in that, you're losing all three of your defensive linemen. You lose defensive end, Cotney, defensive tackle, Jones, defensive end, Robinson, and then you lose, quote, outside linebacker, Kadir Shepard. The only one you really bring back from that kind of front, and yes, I know it's a 3-4, but you're talking about guys with kind of pass rushing responsibility, even with those outside linebackers. The only one you're really bringing back is Sam Williams. Uh, and now they have some guys behind them, Quentin Bivens, KD Hill, Tarika Sisdale, Chuck Wiley, uh, Hal Northern. Like I, they, they do bring some guys back, but I think that big freshman um, that they got from Alabama where uh, I saw the videos from practice and I could not believe uh, this kid's size. What is his name? Uh, uh, he, he was a true freshman. Yeah, he's he's like the refrigerator. He's unbelievably big. Uh, yeah, and he was just some three-star kid in Alabama, and that size, I mean, my God, you can just plug him at the nose, and he can just take up space, if nothing else. I mean, just a massive kid. Yeah, well, he was in the mix to play a little bit at the beginning of the year, but it's one of those things where, like, it's tough with freshmen, particularly on the offensive and defensive lines, to try to get those kids um, ready to play. So... I think they're like I think they feel okay about what they have coming back on the surface, but again, I uh, I do think that depth is probably a, a fairly major concern there. So I would look at that going forward. I think they're going to continue to need to add depth in the secondary. Uh, no, I said Thomas. The Thomas is the offensive lineman with the uh, heart attack. It was Ladarius Cox. He's six five, three thirty. The mobile yeah, that kid. kid is massive. Yeah, he honestly, God, he looks like one of those Auburn down linemen. He's got like the single digit number. He's got the really gigantic head, really gigantic neck. Like he's just a beastly human being. Like he's got the, like, I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald, but he's got one of those Aaron Donald type looks to like, how in the hell is this guy as fast as he is allegedly? So I I think that'll be a big emphasis going forward. I think they'll continue to try to add uh, in the defensive secondary and they really, they signed one receiver so far. I know they have a bunch of young receivers, two guys, kind of took their name out of the <coughs> transfer portal excuse me but uh i imagine they'll get a receiver too because that's a pretty light class and i say receiver uh demarcus thomas i believe is going to be classified as a tight end uh when he comes to school uh, i believe he played receiver in high school 
So, so far, not technically not a receiver on uh, in their signing class at this point. But again, long way to go. But that'll be kind of interesting because it is kind of a new era at that receiver position. Um, in the don't sense they, that, he didn't sign yesterday, but Joe Horn's kid is... Uh, yes, he is committed. He is not signed, but committed. Um, Tupelo kid. And then there may be one more. I need to pull that up. But the, the sheet I'm looking at only has him as the only true wide receiver. And that Demarcus Thomas, by the way, that, uh, out of nowhere. I mean, I, like we've said a few times, uh, we are not you know, deep into recruiting. The offer sheet, Ole Miss is his best offer, and he's a four-star tight end in the state of Alabama. Explain that to me. I wish I could because I, I don't know much other than— that, That's the kind of stuff you were talking about earlier, though, these bizarre offer sheets. I mean, it's— According to rivals, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, Troy, and Tulane. That's his offer sheet. And he's yeah. a big tight end, well, wide receiver, but he's going to play tight end. And he's a four-star kid in the state of Alabama. Yeah, I mean, it kind of beats me. I imagine there's some kind of, uh, when I say physical, I don't mean like something wrong with him, but I imagine there's some kind of physical tool or something people don't think he has. Maybe, I mean, if you're kind of one of those, if you're one of those tweeners in high school from receiver to tight end because really like Pegues and some of those guys are kind of rarities I was talking to a recruiting guy back in September at practice one day about this you don't really get a lot of tight ends recruited out of high school like tight ends a position you kind of end up at after maybe it doesn't work out elsewhere or something like that I mean hell look at Ole Miss's roster last year and Cooley Pellerin uh, Jonathan Hess the former linebacker like that's a position you kind of end up at if you're kind of a misfit, if he's fluctuating between receiver and tight end, uh, and I'm just guessing here, at out of high school, maybe there's some quickness or, or uh, to use a DK Metcalf term, lateral quickness concerns. Just a guess. Yeah, probably so. I'm trying to watch his film, and I mean, he just looks big and physical, but it's every one of these recruits has high school tape that impresses you. That's got to be the most frustrating thing for these evaluators, too, man. It's just that the lack of available tape that isn't just highlights that they can go look and find these kids on. Take a break real quick. Tell you the podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We're going to have Greg back on tomorrow. He's going to be back on bringing the locks so you don't have to fade uh, Michael Borky and I's sorry picks. Or you may make more money doing that. I don't know. But LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, he's got the Lane Kiffin special, bacon wrap filet, Keith Carter special, a six-ounce bacon wrap filet. They've got plate lunches, all kinds of good stuff over there. You can go get something for lunch and decide what you want to throw on the grill later for dinner or maybe for another day. The uh, best place in Oxford to get meat, Greg's got it going on over there. He's all fired up about the Lane Kiffin thing. Uh, business is booming at LB's. You should go see him. It's the best place in Oxford, absolutely, to go get meat. Um Elsewhere, I, were there any big stories around the SEC? I saw a Rivals guy, and I'm not making fun of him. He's one of their national recruiting guys. Just tweet that parody in college football is dead. Like, oh, buddy, like, was, did you send that a couple years ago? I don't understand. Like, you're, you're just now coming to this conclusion? Yeah, so, and I saw, it, it, well, I think it was a Dan Wetzel um, column, and his headline on Twitter anyway was um, – that conventional wisdom would tell you that teams benefiting from their name, image, and likeness would uh, cause an imbalance of power in college football. It's like, you uh, just are not aware of how this thing works, man. I, I mean, even Clemson, who, 
was not a national power before Dabo Sweeney took over. That took years to build, and they are an outlier. Like, they're a program that uh, only had a national championship in 1981, and he was a – I mean, it's a perfect storm there because promoting the interim does not work all that often, which uh, is kind of funny considering the playoff has three coaches that were – I think all four of them that were – promoted from the interim, weren't they? Was Ed Orgeron an interim at LSU? Yeah, he had that interim year when Miles got fired in September after that Auburn game. And yeah, because so there all was four the whole thing were... where Tom Herman said no, so they hired Ed because they really didn't have a backup plan. Yeah, so all four of them were previously on staff and promoted from within. Uh, this is an outlier year, and Clemson's an outlier program. It is possible that you can become one of these powers, but it takes a perfect storm to do it. It took Dabo Sweeney a decade uh, to be able to do that, and he is an outlier, not the norm. I mean, recru- yeah, but you know what Clemson that really has- says is that these blue bloods recruit themselves, and if you don't screw it up and you don't wreck the car, you're going to end up. And credit to those guys for doing a good job. I'm not taking credit away from them, but to me, that says these blue blood places recruit themselves. And don't make it too complicated and don't wreck the car is what I, what I got out of that. And Ohio State and uh, Oklahoma a little bit different because those guys were being groomed as such. Yeah, they were. Uh, but still, I mean, you can be groomed as a head coach, uh, as a coordinator somewhere else, and then go get hired and it not work out for you. I mean, I, I'm with you. A, a place like Ohio State, all you need is competence. A place like LSU, all you need is competence or an athletic department that's willing to spend $6 million on coordinators. I mean, that Ed Orgeron deserves a ton of credit. This is kind of a hot take for me, but, I mean, I think we might be giving him too much credit considering they spend more money on coordinators than any program in the country. I mean, it's really easy when you've got $2.5 million to get Steve Ensminger, or not Ensminger, um, the, your defensive coordinator, and you literally have two. Uh, Dave Miranda, and you literally have two OCs. You have two of them. It's a little bit easier to coach when you have a setup like that. But the point is, baseline competence at these kind of programs will keep them above a place like an old Miss. I mean, Clemson has six five-stars, six of them. There's only, give or take, about 30 in any class. Alabama has three, Ohio State has three, LSU two. I mean— Ole Miss has not signed a five-star since 2016, right? And that was Greg Little. No, God, no. That was earlier. That was 15, right? It was 13 and 15 were the two big classes for Ole Miss. No, it was 16. It was after the 15 season. Okay, because he played 16, 17, and 18. Now he's a rookie. Okay, so in the last three recruiting classes, LSU in this one has signed two more five-stars than Ole Miss. It's there is it can be done because we mentioned Clemson and Lane Kiffin's a guy that can recruit at Ole Miss nationally, but there's always going to be, always has been, always will be a separation of powers in college football. Always, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get parody. I just found it funny that that guy yesterday just officially cleared it dead. Like, thanks, Chief. I, I wish I had thought about that one. Yeah, I had no idea that uh, that was even possible until, uh, uh, oh, yeah, the same teams made the playoff again. Yeah, the, the big shakeup and the big drama this year was LSU. 
the, the little engine that could LSU finally got a seat at the big boy table. So, like, if you're talking about a credit scale, though, as far as those four interim guys that took over, which is kind of interesting, I think it probably goes Dabo, Ed, Riley, and then Day. Because the thing I struggle with drawing Day at Ohio State is, is Urban Meyer had that thing functioning at a level it had really never seen before, if you're talking about on-field performance and and in recruiting. Lincoln Riley is a good coach, charismatic guy, but Stoops kind of had the same deal, like, like to me, those guys took over took over locomotives that were already full of steam. LSU was close, and then Clemson, of course, had to build that kind of from scratch. Yeah, and he is. I think he's an outlier. Uh, promoting the interim rarely works, and uh, I mean, he was he was one loss away from getting fired. I think in twenty ten. I'll I'll pull up just so I'm uh, accurate here, but. He was on the hot seat to the point where if he didn't go to, I think it was the Orange Bowl in 2010, uh, he loses his job. It was 2011. They went they went to the Orange Bowl and lost in 2011. But if they had anything less than their 10-win season that they had, he was getting fired. So, I mean, it took him four years to get it to a point where they were competing on a national level, and they didn't go to a college football playoff until year seven of him being the coach there. Yeah, but that, I've always wondered, and I've brought this up on the radio show, does that kind of patience happen nowadays? Because like, he's well, right on that fringe of do you get fired or not. Like some, I'm just saying there's some programs nowadays would have had a quicker trigger and been like, actually, let's get this guy out of here. Yeah, in fairness, though, in his first full season, they won. They in a program that he took over that wasn't great. He won nine games in his first full season. Won yeah, six the next year, bad. and then ten in year three. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty solid. Was there any big drama yesterday? Like as far as like normally, what 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 you get robbed of with the two signing days now is one is not one big national holiday now to where you're just guaranteed to have one parent that's not going to let their kid fax in the LOI or they've locked it in a drawer or some kid grabbed the wrong hat. Was there any of that yesterday? I saw Um, some kid announce he took a – I saw some kid he was going to put a shirt on instead of a uh, a hat, and he took the sweatshirt off, and it was a Florida sweatshirt, and then he threw that – he took that off and threw it and grabbed a Florida State hat out of a backpack. That was the closest thing I saw. Well, there is a little bit of drama in South Carolina. So um, the number eight overall recruit, the number one defensive end in college football, Jordan Birch, he's from Columbia, South Carolina, um, was thought to have gone or was going to go to Clemson or Georgia somewhere else, but uh, did the whole hat ceremony thing and picked South Carolina and never signed. Like he, he yesterday was signing day. He was going to sign yesterday, picked South Carolina, and then – Uh, like just kind of disappeared and Will Muschamp couldn't even talk uh, about him at their signing day press conference because he didn't sign even though he committed to them did the hat ceremony with the paper in front of them on signing day just ended up not signing it and nobody really knows what's going on yeah how does that what how does that work like what happens there like, I don't understand, like, is it a LOI thing? Is the kid undecided? Like, I guess there's really no way of knowing. Yeah, there's no way of knowing. You just hope it's not a situation. Do you remember uh, Devin or Davin Godshow? 
He went to LSU to play? No. Um, he was going to sign with Ole Miss. Let's see what year this is. I got a, I got a Davin God show. Uh, he was going to sign with Ole Miss. On signing day, that was what he was going to do. He, uh, let's see. His first game in the NFL, he was drafted in 2017. So I don't know what recruiting class it would have been. But this is a free uh, kid. Yeah, so his junior season was 2012, so I guess it would have been the 13 class. I just remember very, very specifically that he was going to go to Ole Miss, defensive lineman. He's in the NFL right now, plays for um, plays for the Dolphins. Got drafted by the Dolphins, is still there. This guy can't catch a break. I know, right? Um, he showed up to his signing day press conference, Rippy, wearing red and blue. He was going to sign with Ole Miss. The Ole Miss coaches were told he was going to sign with Ole Miss the morning of signing day. He is wearing Ole Miss colors on signing day. And something happened between his phone call with Ole Miss saying, I'm choosing you, to when he sat down and picked LSU. Gotta love that type of drama. Isn't that usually a parent thing? Yeah, and I, I don't know for sure. So just... If you're listening, you may remember better than me. I think it was a parent thing, but I know that morning, that day, he got dressed and ready to sign with Ole Miss. That was what he was going to do that day. And something happened and something stopped him from doing it, and he chose LSU that day. Yikes. Well, we didn't have any of that. Maybe we'll get get, get compensated for that in uh, in February with some crazy stuff, but uh, February might be fun because uh, <laughs> I have a feeling that, I mean, Ole Miss is going to be in on some, and there's not all that many left. Like I was looking at the, like just the top 30 and there's only three or four guys in the top 30 that haven't signed and maybe they're going to look elsewhere anyway, but there's going to be a handful. If you're, if you missed the signing day drama yesterday, I think you might get it with Ole Miss in February. Yeah, I think so, too, just because they have so many spaces to fill and they've got a lot of work to be done. That was the one last interesting thing that struck me about yesterday is, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show, Kiffin obviously not a fan of how this early signing period. This has really made it a real, real pain in the ass on coaches taking over new programs because he was talking about at USC and Tennessee. He's like, we had two months. We had a month and a half or whatever. Like, he was like, at USC, we were under sanctions, and I think we signed the number one class of the country. He's like, we had two months. Now we have, you know, 10 days before the most, like, a lot of these kids signed. Like, that really kind of sucks, honestly. Like, like I, didn't, I don't really have a strong opinion on the signing period one way or another, but if you're a new coach in particular taking over a program, like, you're at a terrible disadvantage. Like, you're pretty much just kind of screwed. But he had this quote yesterday. This is much different than take than talking like USC or Tennessee before. There was no mid-year signing we had until February. At USC, even with the probation and the hearings coming up, I think we signed the number one class in the country. Tennessee, we signed a top ten class, even though we were only there for a month or two. This is a whole different animal. You had one week and one weekend, so it's a lot more difficult. Like that's a stark difference. Like I, it's almost like like. I know he has to go around and talk to as many kids as possible, but like he kind of ran around like a chicken with his head cut off for a week and a half after taking the job. How much good do you think that actually did? 
It seemed like, based on location, most of it was shoring up the guys in the class that he wanted to keep. I mean, it, it didn't it feel like that? Like, I know the Starkville thing, people, whatever. Uh, but he was going to visit a couple of prospects in the area that were already committed to Ole Miss that he clearly still wanted. Same thing with this flight to Con- Conway, Arkansas, and Baton Rouge. It, it almost felt like he used most of his time in his first week on the job, just to make sure he was keeping the guys in the class that were committed that he still wanted. Like, just salvage this class. Do whatever you can to keep the guys that you know you want to keep and then figure it out between now and February. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I guess the last thing we can get into, like, I was trying to figure out instant impact guys next year. And... I don't really. It's so know hard what, to tell. Yeah, I know. Like, but there, there's all there was a couple like, and particularly if you can get a JUCO kid or two, like it seems a little bit easier to tell. Like last year, you knew Sam Williams might was like had a chance to be the best player on that defense from day one, like no matter what, um, and was going to plug and play immediately. This with a bunch of high school kids and it being defensive heavy, it seems a little more difficult to tell. But I don't know. Is I it mean, is it weird to say that I, I don't expect any of these guys to have instant impacts? I, I think a, a couple of them have a set, have chances, like the uh, Robert Scott, the big lineman from Conway. Like with the way Ole Miss's offensive line is next year, I think he's got a chance. And then I think the uh, I, I don't know how to say is the Jack Brown. Uh, the linebacker, I think he has a little bit of a chance, but outside of that, I, I would say most of that's fair. I just think with what Ole Miss has coming back on the offensive line and some holes they have to fill, even if it's not starting, I think that kid could play immediately in Scott. Yeah, I, I just I have a feeling the positions of immediate need, unless there are new prospects on the table, uh, because they don't need a quarterback, they don't need a running back, they don't exactly need wide receivers. The Defensive secondary, uh, although it wasn't very good last year, they played a bunch of true freshmen, so maybe they could get some help. But they, they don't – I don't think they have desperate need there. They don't have desperate need at linebacker. They really just need it on – most importantly on the offensive and defensive lines. And I think that'll come by way of transfer first than relying on a freshman to come in and play right away. Just worth noting, I pulled up Scott's profile, and uh, he's a hard old miscommit, but the crystal ball now has 67% in favor of Arkansas, and he did not sign yesterday, has not signed so far. And that was the kid we were talking about where Chad Morris didn't really make him a priority, but Sam Pittman has. That's probably something very interesting to monitor going forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, Arkansas, I mean, they will eventually have to sign somebody because yesterday was uh... – and it sucks. It really does because the coaching search didn't go well. But, uh, I mean, they signed 10 kids yesterday or have committed 10 kids. We'll see how many they actually signed. They signed seven players yesterday. Yeah, shouldn't some of these coaches, particularly if you're taking over a dumpster fire like that, get a year zero? Because what is he going to do to improve that football team between now and next August that's really going to matter? There's nothing really that, that can be done. So why is not, that not when you're one? signing seven guys? So why does that count as year one? Well, if you remember, they were willing to give Chad Morris basically a, a year zero, but they looked so incompetent that it kind of changed the way they looked at it, right? Yeah, I mean, the 
did two and ten, two and ten with who they lost to and how they lost to him. Like, yeah, they. I don't think like you were saying that you said it earlier in the month. Like they didn't want to fire that guy. They had to fire that guy. Yeah, there's no, there's just no choice in the matter. But it, Pittman should have multiple years of patience because this is it's an absolute dumpster fire. And I mean, seven guys to fill a recruiting class. They have to sign eighteen players when the candidate pool is significantly smaller. I mean, they had a position coach tweeting, if you're a defensive back that didn't sign, send me your film. Yeah, that's tough. It's, I mean, that's terrible. And it's not really, it's not their fault. I mean, he's a new staff member. They just had no idea what they were walking into. And I, I kind of feel bad for the guy because he's weird and quirky and I mean, if it doesn't work, he's going to get mocked and made fun of when, in reality, he was just offered a job that you can't turn down. And much similar to Luke, it seems like there's a very slim pathway to that working long term. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, And even like Barry Odom. I mean, Barry Odom's not going to be a defensive coordinator for long. That 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 is a good good hire there for the short term. That is a good hire. I was uh, impressed by that. And then it was is Bryles to the to Arkansas done? I have not seen an official word though. No. Those are two pretty good coordinators. If that happens, to your point though, how long they stay there, I don't know. But like, I was impressed by that hire. That'll help. Is there um, is there anything else we missed yesterday? Big news wise, this uh, obviously I was saying earlier, like probably kind of a brief podcast. We got mailbag Friday and all that coming tomorrow, but. Just felt like we need to hop back on here and kind of recap the day that was for Ole Miss. Did we really miss anything big news-wise? No, I don't think so. Uh, that feels uh, as if um, we kind of covered it all. It was going to be – I mean, I, I think it was last week when we told you that today was going to be – I mean, yesterday was going to be simply uh, just maintaining the guys in the class that you wanted and go headhunting in February and just hope it works out. The timing – uh, I think we were asked yesterday on the radio show, and I, I don't believe most of you listen to the radio show. Generally speaking, I don't think we have a whole lot of crossover listenership. So we were asked yesterday if they should have fired Matt Luke sooner uh, or made the coaching search go by faster in order to save this class. And there was nothing they could have done uh, to make this any easier at all. Nothing at all. It's just this is what happens with the early signing period. Now, uh, the timing of everything was fine. It's just... If you're making a change, you are put behind the eight ball in your first recruiting class. That's just how it works now. Yep. So we'll be back at it on Friday. We'll have Mailbag Friday. Send me your Borky your questions. Tweet me, text me, email me, whatever you got to do. Get your Mailbag Friday questions in. A lot of stuff going on. Staff changes to be filled out. Oh, I guess the last note we didn't hit before we get out of here. Uh, he kind of gave some clarity on Mike McIntyre, who is definitely a candidate to be the defensive coordinator. But uh, no guarantees made there. Definitely not a done deal. But said Mike is very much much in the mix for the job and that the kind of in-house staff guys will get the first chance to interview. I think his staff will be completed in the next two to three weeks. But I know there was some uncertainty as to far as what Mike McIntyre's role was, some rumblings that he will be retained. Don't think there's much clarity there, but definitely in the mix. All right. And if he's the fallback plan, that's a really damn good fallback plan. Yeah, no kidding. Like, if, if, if whatever Kiffin has in mind doesn't work out, that's definitely a guy. Like, if yeah, exactly like you said. If that's your option B, that's 
it's a pretty good option B, and it might turn into your option A if things are just kind of clicking and going well on that side of the ball, and he decides he doesn't want to change anything. Um, yeah, that that definitely is. So that was the last thing we really missed, I think. But anyway, back at it on Friday, Mailbag Friday. We'll have Greg gone. Uh, we'll go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. Best place in Mississippi to get meat, go get some steaks, sausages, custom cuts, seafood. Lane Kiffin likes seafood. There's not a uh, probably not going to be fishing for any seafood around here. But uh, Greg's got it all. LBs, all kinds of daily specials, plate lunches. Go see him. He'll be back on the pod tomorrow. And Borky and I will be back at it tomorrow. So send us your Mailbag Friday questions. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.